0: In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, Radio Havana, Cuba, and Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. We will begin with France 24. At the United Nations, the five countries with the most nuclear weapons agreed that nuclear war should be avoided and said that they are committed to full disarmament in the future. The Canadian government agreed to compensate First Nation people who were taken from their families and to repair the child welfare system. The Italian government unanimously approved making vaccines mandatory for everyone over 50. French President Macron said he wanted to piss off the unvaccinated and that those who acted irresponsibly were not citizens. France 24. France and the other permanent members of the UN Security Council have
1: signed an accord to avoid war with nuclear states. France, China, the US, Russia and the UK all agreeing in New York that a further spread of nuclear arms and nuclear war should be avoided. Hoda Osman is our correspondent in New York. She joins us now live. Hoda, good evening to you. Tell us more about how this important accord came about
2: well, the statement was issued following the UN Security Council earlier uh, today by the five permanent members, as you mentioned, of the Security Council. They're also considered the five nuclear powers in the world, the US, China, Russia, the UK, and uh, France, in which, as you mentioned, they uh, committed to preventing the spread of nuclear powers and avoiding nuclear war. One of the important quotes from the statement is, we affirm that a nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought. It's important to mention that this meeting is a regular meeting to review the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. It happens every five years. It was scheduled to happen earlier last year and was rescheduled because of uh, COVID. They also said in the statement that uh, nuclear uh, weapons, as long as they continue to exist, and this is an important uh, part of the uh, statement as well, as long as they continue to exist should only be used for defensive purposes. But maybe the more important part of the statement was the reassertion of the commitment to Article 6. Article 6 says that there is a commitment to full disarmament in the uh, future and for countries to pursue negotiations in good faith on effective measures relating to cessation of the nuclear arms race at an early date and to nuclear disarmament in uh, general. So this was maybe the most important part of that statement.
1: Howard, were they targeting any particular state? I'm thinking perhaps the message to North Korea, Iran?
2: Well, whether intentional or not, it is definitely a message, especially the timing. Now, it's a sensitive timing, and which is why this statement was a surprise, because there's some tensions between Russia and China on the one hand, and uh, uh, the UK, France, and the US. And it has to do also with Russia building up troops close to the Ukrainian uh, border. So for them to come together At this time, uh, shows that there is agreement when it comes to this particular issue. It could be a message to North Korea and Iran, of course. North Korea was part of this treaty, but it withdrew from the treaty uh, years ago. As well as also, uh, we have to remember, there's uh, India and Pakistan who do have nuclear weapons and Israel, which is believed to possess nuclear weapons as well.
1: If finalized, it could be the biggest settlement of its kind in Canadian history. 40 billion Canadian dollars towards fixing a discriminatory child welfare system and the First Nation children that it affected, around 28 billion euros.
0: I'm very pleased to announce that Canada and the parties have reached two significant agreements in principle. One that provides fair and equitable compensation to First Nations children and families harmed by discriminatory underfunding, And the other addressing the long-term reform that's needed for the First Nations Child and Family Services Program.
1: Almost 15 years ago, First Nation rights groups lodged a complaint against the federal government. Canada's Human Rights Tribunal found that discriminatory underfunding on reserves had led to a disproportionate number of First Nations children being taken from their homes and put into foster care.
3: The enormity of this settlement is due to one reason and one reason only. And that is the sheer size and scope of the harm that was inflicted on the class members as a result of a cruel and discriminatory First Nations family and child welfare system that Canada has now finally taken major steps to overhaul.
1: In a 2016 ruling, Ottawa was ordered to pay $40,000 Canadian dollars to each individual affected by the country's discriminatory child welfare system. However, the government is appealing that decision. But on Tuesday, Canada's Justice Minister said Ottawa would drop its appeals once agreements on this new settlement are finalized in the coming months.
4: In a bid to curb nearly daily new records of coronavirus infections, The Italian government approved Wednesday to make vaccines mandatory for over 50-year-olds. The measure was voted unanimously by cabinet and adds to the country's super green pass, which limits activities without proof of the jab or recent recovery from the virus.
3: We extended the mandatory basic green pass to the entire sector of those who use public and private services. To go to the bank, the notary, the post office or social security office, it will be compulsory to have the
1: green pass, almost everywhere except food shops."
4: Until now, vaccine mandates were only in place for health workers, teachers and the police. The Italian government has been under pressure to reduce strain on hospitals at risk of becoming overwhelmed. Around 78% of Italy's population has received two doses. But the health minister claimed the unvaccinated are causing the squeeze on the health system, accounting for two-thirds of the patients in rapidly filling ICU beds.
5: We should be grateful the National Health Service can vaccinate us for free.
4: I
3: think mandatory vaccination should be extended to everyone, or at least all adults. So I see it positively.
4: Italy registered on Wednesday 189,000 new infections and 231 fatalities. The nation's death toll is Europe's second highest after the UK. Now, those comments from the French president who said he wanted to amerder, which translates into hassle or piss off the non-vaccinated, has really got people angry here in France. And to break it all down with me now, let's bring in our international affairs editor, Armin Georgian. Armin, those comments were part of a wider interview that Emmanuel Macron gave to the French newspaper Le Parisien. And that whole interview has been really controversial here. Why?
6: That's right. The international media have really focused on this phrase, to hassle or piss off the unvaccinated but there are other parts of the interview which has caused uh, which have caused a lot of uh, concern and comment on social media in France Jeannie, particularly macron's phrase uh, when he said those who are who act irresponsibly are somebody who acts acts irresponsibly is no longer a citizen and that has had a lot of people up in arms uh, they're saying well uh, isn't citizenship a legal concept enshrined in the French constitution is it really up to a president to say who is a citizen and who is no longer a citizen now um, some of some of macron's uh, supporters on uh, twitter have been saying that of course he's not actually proposing to take away the citizenship of uh, unvaccinated people in other words don't take that comment Literally, but at the same time, Macron did also say in that interview that he was going to hassle the unvaccinated right up until the end, jusqu'au bout, up until the end. That phrase has also uh, triggered a lot of uh, criticism and questions about what does to the end actually mean? Will there be other measures taken against unvaccinated people uh, beyond excluding them from this future vaccine pass? For example, will they they be asked to pay for their own hospital bills if they end up in hospital because of of COVID? So there's a lot of questions now about where does this up to the end actually lead? Where where does it go? What does it mean uh, up until the end? Uh, One MP who used to sit for Macron's party in parliament but then left uh, the party Um, He has been saying this morning uh, that it's the first time in his lifetime that a French president openly says that he is effectively not the president of all French people.
4: Mm. Uh, Armin, let's get back to this word, this amerdé, which at its root has a French swear word, merde, in the middle of it. That's really strong language coming from a president who is usually so careful about how he speaks.
6: It is a phrase that sounds somewhat like Uh, somebody who's thinking of running for re-election and perhaps appealing to a base that is very strongly pro-vaccination, a base with whom uh, this frustration that Macron has has expressed with the non-vaccinated will resonate quite strongly.
4: Armin, thanks for that analysis. Armin Georgian there for us.
0: France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com. They also have a YouTube channel called France 24 English. Besides international news reports, they produce a daily English language debate, which is always informative, and a weekly edition called The World This Week that is available as a podcast on all major podcast sites. I highly recommend France 24 as a news and opinion source. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. The Puebla Group is a political forum consisting of 19 Latin American countries and Spain. They support the initiative presented by Mexican President Obrador to offer asylum to Australian journalist and founder of WikiLeaks Julian Assange. As of Thursday, more than 700,000 people have signed a petition at change.org to have the knighthood granted to ex-British Prime Minister Tony Blair be rescinded and that he be held for war crimes instead. An uncharged Palestinian prisoner, Hisham Abu Hawash, who was on a 141-day hunger strike, reached a deal with Israel to be released next month. Thousands of protesters defied authorities and gathered in the Dutch capital Amsterdam on Sunday to oppose coronavirus restrictions, leading to clashes and arrest. Radio Havana, Cuba.
7: The Puebla Group has expressed its support for the initiative reiterated by Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador to offer asylum to the Australian journalist and founder of WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, who is a victim of political persecution by the United States authorities. The organization of progressive leaders of Latin America disseminated through its social network a message in which they congratulated the initiative of the government of Mexico and President Andrés Manuel López Obrador to grant political asylum to the persecuted Julian Assange. We hope that this will be carried out. During a press briefing held at the Mexican National Palace earlier this week, the president again formulated the asylum proposal and valued that the United States administration should act with humanism with respect to the activist. López Obrador stated that Assange is ill and it would be a sign of solidarity, of fraternity, to allow him to receive asylum in the country he decides to live in, including Mexico. Tens of thousands of people have signed an online petition calling for the removal of a title of a night companion from former British Prime Minister Tony Blair. The ex Prime Minister should be held accountable for war crimes instead, it argues. More than four hundred thousand signatures were left under a change.org petition urging the UK Prime Minister to ask the Queen to rescind the order in less than a day after it was launched. Angus Scott, the author of the petition, argues that the former British Prime Minister caused irreparable damage to the Constitution of the United Kingdom and to the very fabric of the nation's society while he was in power between 1997 and 2007. The petition specifically accused Blair of causing the death of countless innocent civilian lives and servicemen by dragging the UK into various conflicts. For this alone, he should be held accountable for war crimes. While it's customary for British monarchs to confer most senior knighthoods on former prime ministers, Buckingham Palace's decision not to snub Blair caused massive outrage among Brits, citing Blair's role in the 2003 invasion of Iraq and his support for the U.S.-led campaign in Afghanistan. A Palestinian prisoner who has been on hunger strike for 141 days to protest being in prison without charge has agreed to end his fast after reaching a deal with Israel to be released the next month, his lawyer said. Hisham Abu Hawash, a 40-year-old father of five, is the latest of several Palestinians to go on hunger strike to protest being held under administrative detention, a measure where a prisoner is held indefinitely without charge or trial. Administrative detainees are arrested on secret evidence Unaware of the accusation against them And are not allowed to defend themselves in court Abu Hawash lawyer, Jawad Bolus Said on Tuesday that he agreed to end the hunger strike After Israel pledged to release him on February 26 There was no immediate comment from Israeli officials Palestinians have rallied across the occupied West Bank And the besieged Gaza Strip In support of Abu Hawash The Palestinian Islamic Jihad had threatened military actions against Israel if he died in custody. Prisoner groups had warned that Abu Hawash faced imminent danger of death. A huge crowd of people opposing the Dutch government's COVID-19 restrictions gathered on Sunday near the National Museum in Amsterdam. The protest, which had been banned by the authorities, quickly descended into violence. Chaotic scenes unfolded on the streets of the Dutch capital, where police in riot gear sought to disperse thousands of demonstrators who gathered for a prohibited rally. The situation quickly turned violent, with photos and videos on sh- social media showing officers in riot gear clashing with groups of demonstrators attempting to break through the police cordons. Officers were seen beating protesters with batons and pushing them away, and demonstrators responded by hitting police in their fists, as well as with banners. There have been no reports of injuries so far. At one stage, a drone was deployed, issuing a call for demonstrators to leave the area. A particularly disturbing video circulating on social media, social protester being mauled by a police dog. The man apparently is out to break through a line of officers with dogs, one of which is in longing and biting the man's arm as he struggles to break free. The footage shows two other dogs being controlled by the police.
0: Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at RadioHC.cu, though the podcast links are not updated on shortwave cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140 and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6,000, 60, 60, or 6100 if you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener funded program i may be reached through the website and paypal or by writing to dan roberts at p.o. box 1162 Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like supporters from Willits, Westport, and Annapolis, California, and Viroqua, Wisconsin did this week. Many, many, many thanks. We will conclude with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. First, an interview with American political scientist Ian Bremmer about the current state of American democracy and its credibility to the rest of the world a year after the January 6th attempted coup. In Europe, there is an argument over what forms of energy are green, notably over nuclear power and the substitution of natural gas for its fossil fuel cousin, coal. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle my first guest tonight
3: is Ian Bremmer. He's president of Eurasia Group and G Zero Media. Ian is one of the world's leading risk assessors. He joins me from New York City. The world's strong-arm leaders, all the way from um, Brazil's Bolsonaro to Russia's Putin, they are, if you will, misbehaving, and they're getting away with more and more. Um, The political scientist Francis Fukuyama, he mentioned this today in an op-ed piece for the New York Times. I'm going to show um, a quote from what he wrote. He said, before January 6th, these kinds of antics would have been seen as the behavior of young and incompletely consolidated democracies. And the United States would have wagged its finger in condemnation. But it has now happened in the United States itself. America's credibility in upholding a model of good democratic practice has been shredded. Now, why do I fear that you think that the upcoming midterm elections in November are going to do nothing to change that assessment?
8: Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, you actually said in the opening, you said that what happened in January 6th was seared into our collective consciousness. And I want to take issue with you because I know it feels that way outside the United States. But in my own country, Mm. there is no collective consciousness. There are two completely different stories. 9-11, after 9-11, the entire country every year said never again. January 6th, most Americans think it is gonna happen again. And Mm -hmm. some of them think it's a good thing. Some of them don't. I, I mean, the dynamic in the United States has been learning absolutely no lessons over the course of the last year. And whether or not you believe the election was fundamentally stolen, and that the people that went into the Capitol building were patriots who were trying to ensure that a legitimate election of Donald Trump, which is fake news, was not going to be overthrown. Uh, I mean, frankly, those people are seen to be patriots by a majority of Republicans in the United States. Donald Trump controls the Republican Party. The Democratic Party is increasingly on the other side of everything. And frankly, increasingly, not just do a majority of Americans believe the democracy in crisis, but they think that their fundamental enemy is on the other side of the political aisle in their own country. And I will tell you that for democracies where that is true, they don't last well for very long.
3: Yeah. Yeah. There's a new poll that shows the majority of Americans expect a similar event to the January 6th riot to happen again soon and a majority of Americans also say that they now do not trust the government, state or federal, anymore. I want to connect that to, to some images. I'm sure you saw the images of motorists stranded in a snowstorm along Interstate 95 in Northern Virginia at the beginning of the week. It's a main travel artery in the United States along the eastern seaboard. Some people were in their cars for 24 hours. Also, They were stranded in an Amtrak train. This looks like it's clearly a case of the government failing the people, not doing the basics, clearing roads in the snow, but also not even able to pass a budget. Moving into 2022, are we seeing American democracy unraveling before our very eyes? $1.3
8: trillion being spent on infrastructure, something the U.S. has been overdue at passing for decades now, will make a difference. So I don't want to underestimate that. And also, I want to point out that the American economy is very robust. As you know, the stock market keeps hitting record levels. Uh, Unemployment levels are going down. New jobs are being created. Some of the most entrepreneurial companies and technologies in the world are coming out of the United States. U.S. percentage of global GDP is roughly what it was 20 years ago, Europe's gone down, declined, Japan's gone down, declined, China's gone up, U.S. hasn't moved. So, I mean, it's not like U.S. power is going away, but U.S. democracy is eroding significantly. The legitimacy of U.S. political institutions, the lack of equality of opportunity, the lack of mobility of members of the working and middle class, the ennui that's being felt for example, by undereducated white men who feel correctly that they're losing status in a country that will be majority non-white by 2045. These are deep structural issues that are not being addressed as the wealthy get wealthier and the most powerful country in the world continues to move apace. That's a real problem.
3: Ian Bremmer helping us put the risk facing the U.S. and the world in 2022 in perspective.
5: What is green energy? That is the question at the heart of a brewing row over the European Commission's plans to designate nuclear energy and natural gas as green investments. If voted through by the EU's member states, it would open the technologies up to billions of euros in funding. The Commission points out that nuclear plants produce zero CO2 and that natural gas is helping countries phase out more polluting fossil fuels like coal. Opponents of the plan say the harm caused by nuclear waste outweighs its carbon neutrality, and natural gas is still a fossil fuel after all. They'd rather see investment in renewable sources like wind and solar power. Here in Germany, the government's opposed to the plan to label nuclear plants as green. It's in the process of phasing them out altogether, but it is banking on natural gas while it waits for renewable sources to make up the loss of energy from its coal and nuclear phase-outs. Well, let's get more on the European Commission's plans from uh, Bent Weber, who is a founder of the independent think-tank EPICO Climate Innovation. It's great to have you on the programme. Just how important are nuclear and natural gas to Europe's wider energy future plans?
9: Well, um, at the moment, um... Nuclear energy and natural gas play a very important role in the energy supply um, of the European Union as such. Um, However, it's generally up to the member states how they transition towards um, climate neutrality. And hence the current proposal of the European Commission is to be understood at as a compromise solution. It allows countries like France to continue to use nuclear energy as climate neutral power source and countries um, like Germany to rely on natural gas to compensate for the phase out of coal and transition this technology towards green hydrogen. So both are very important, but both are to be considered as a transition technology towards a power supply system that relates first and foremost on renewable energies uh, like wind and solar, for example.
5: So we know that CO2 um, emissions from nuclear power plants are are, of zero, basically. Um, Why is there this opposition to to, to it as a a green energy source?
9: It is not clear yet how nuclear waste can be disposed of safely and um, there's no permanent um, disposal site for the nuclear waste in Europe. It is yet to be found, not to speak of um, the um, environmental risk with regard to potential incidences. So this is why um, it's quite um, controversially discussed in Europe. But there's also, um, besides the um, ecological um, factors, also valid um, economic arguments against um, nuclear power, which is that no um, company would invest in a nuclear power plant without the financial and the risk management support of the government.
5: Also, the the Commission is saying that it's it's only going to label certain nuclear plants as sustainable if they've got a plan for disposal of the radioactive waste. I mean, isn't that enough?
9: Well, of course, um, it's good to have a plan and it's uh, very important to have that. But um, it is um, important to understand that we do not have a permanent disposal site in Europe for this nuclear waste yet. So um, this question needs to be addressed, and uh, so far it's not addressed. So it would be a bet um, on the future that we would find such permanent disposal sites, as it would be a bet um, with regard to the profitability and also um, the technological development um, of new nuclear power plants, um,
5: uh, which we need to make right.
9: with regard to the future. This, this is why um, it's so
5: controversial. Ben Weber from EPICO, thank you very much for joining us on DW Business.
0: Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channel called DW News. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show that's out farpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There is a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 25th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.